Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Buddhist by the Roadside. We're all very sorry that we didn't post an episode last week. We had some technical difficulties, um, but we're back this week with an amazing conversation. We start off by talking about Generations, the new WordPress block editor, on normalization of corona restrictions, social media platforms, the state of polarization, binge-watching, the EU report on drug-related deaths, CIA black ops fundraising, the uncomfortable truth of we don't need to fix anything, anti-fragile food intake, and the harbor of pain. As per usual, this is an episode where we go all over the place, um, but it's a journey that's worth it. We very much hope that you enjoy the episode, and I'll leave it over to us. What's the end of the millennials? Millenarians. Yeah, <laughs> years. Well, that depends. There, there's a lot of confusion and debate around this. But you usually group all of them together, and those are the millennials. So, so it's basically from uh, early '90s to really late '80s, yeah, depending mid, on who mid you 80s ask. Mid '80s, I've seen somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and up until I would say, um, you know, around. 2010 or something like that well that's late yeah well it all depends because those but born in 99 and then you're a millennial sorry in 99 you're a millennial yeah absolutely but but then then it comes down to what what generation they are and that's also really fuzzy how do you mean what generation what generation? What do you mean? No, well, the Gen X, Gen Z, Gen Y, the, the later Whatever. ones. Well, after X, Y, and Z, it's millennials, isn't that how it works? All of them are millennials, yeah. But some, well, some X's say... are not a millennial. I'm an Xer. So is Elena. I thought the Xers were the early millennials. Nope. Okay. Well, we're going to have to do a deep dive into this, methinks. Yeah, excellent. Or somebody can inform us. Yeah. Well, I'll 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 sort of pull my pants down and say um, in my world there's uh, boomers born you guys during no uh, No, you're wrong. Boomers born are during our parents. the yeah, born no, boomers in the, are just old people. But born during the Second World War, around there, right? Approximately, yeah. Yeah. And then um, after boomers come Xers. So Xers are the people who are born in the middle of the um, sort of hippie revolution. Sixties, seventies. Post war. Yeah. Post-war time. Post-post-war, yeah. Hmm. And then, um, 
after them, obviously, X's come Y's. And Generation Y is the kind of uh, 80s, disaffected, um, very materialist, uh, the sort of rise of meaninglessness. And then come the Z's that precede the millennials, where there's like an upsurge of, of conservatism amongst the youth. Uh, you know, there's a lot more uh, uh, youth Christianity, if you like, um, the whole youth environmental uh, uh, scene starts. If you look at um, uh, the Green Party in Sweden, they had huge upsurges during that time. Um, when Zs were very young, um, Xs were adopting these kind of very powerful uh, environmental focuses and so on. Becomes populist environmentalism. And then sort of towards the late 90s, there's the, um, the start of millennialism. So the whole of the the 90s, if you like, up to about 2003, is I think generally what people call millennials, 2005. And after that we have, uh, I think they've been called Omega Generation. So people that are currently around uh, 15. Hmm. So I have a millennial and an Omega residing in my house and an X. It's confusing though. I've never really managed to work it out because I also read somewhere fairly recently that millennials were like 84 until 2000 or something. Mm. And I was like, well, they were pre-millennial, but you know, I can't really figure mm. it out. There's probably the some. only the only thing that I I look to when when talking about or well not the only thing but the sort of the main thing is whether or not you grew up with internet or not. That's sort of the 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 divider for me. Um, Pre and after, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because it it makes Pre a huge difference. And sort of after, exactly. yeah. Yep. We yeah, well, then 68 is pretty good because the internet has been around for a while. <laughs> well, I realized, I realized a couple of days ago that you know the the great thinkers, sort of Plato and and Jung and what have not, you know, the the old guys, the the great ones, sort of regardless of, of which field. But those guys, they didn't have internet. And therefore, I don't count their achievements at all. <laughs> Excellent. No, but, but seriously, I yeah, realized they were this... handicapped, obviously, when doesn't No, 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 no. The other way around. We're handicapped for that kind of work. Because I could do... I could do you know, sit down and do maths or think big thoughts or whatever. Or I could go on Instagram and watch puppies. And get some heroin. And just continue scrolling. Yep. 
you know, they, they didn't have any competition for their attention. Just saying. Not in, not in the same way, no. No. I got stuck on, there, there's this guy from Canada. He's a circus artist. And he's been posting reels on Instagram, which are 15 second clips of him doing some kind of trick. And so he did this one where, where he takes a quite a large knife, throws it up in the air, spins it, and it comes down with the blade down. He catches it on his forearm, so he continues spinning on his forearm. He then bounces it back up, throws it up, throws a grape up, and catches the grape with the knife. All of this in 15 seconds. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be be able to work. You know, or I could just watch this guy. Whose fault is it? It's well, obvious. It's, it's internets, obviously. Obviously. If we're thinking deeply, systemically here. Yeah. I just get... It's a hard knock life. <laughs> ringing through my ears when I hear you. It's a fucked up life. <laughs> that too. How are you guys? How are you feeling? You go first. I never go first. Well, then we're all okay, I guess. Now I'm all I'm all right. I've been. Um, I think I slept for for a total amount of fourteen hours or something yesterday, or the night to yesterday and yesterday. Um, I actually had this profound. I, I said to a friend because in my family. We've, we've said, I, I've got some kind of bug, you know, when, when we don't know exactly what it is, I'm, you know, I've just been tired. I haven't had any fever, nothing like that, but I've had a bug. And I don't know, don't know if it was Helena who, who instantly replied, it's not a bug. It's a part of the system. That wasn't me. Okay. Then it was some other I don't friend. think. That was pretty smart though. Super smart. Um, so do take credit if you want to. I mean, that's a person that doesn't watch Instagram that can say things like that. <laughs> um, but no, I've, I've, you know, I've had some sort of illness or, or not, maybe just tired. Um, I was supposed to go to Multala for the weekend. Uh, but I got to know that I could borrow a car Thursday evening and I felt like it wasn't really time to to readjust to to going out to Uxia in early early yesterday morning to drive up there. Um, yeah. Pretty good. Been a good week. Yeah. 
I've had a proper bug. Not a corona bug, but a proper head cold bug. Since we saw each other last, what was it, Sunday? Yeah. Since uh, sort of started creeping up on me Tuesday and then Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, not very sharp. Still sharp enough to impress some of my, my colleagues. We've been co-working from over Zoom or Teams or whatnot. But um, congested nose, congested head, very apparent. And then yesterday I was pissed at the world, at the phone company, because they have the shittiest HMI sort of interface, user interface. Uh, and the chat guy was just a dickhead. And then the WordPress is hell and I can't find the chat and I'm supposed to be able to find the chat because I've got premium but I couldn't and then I could and then I couldn't again it's just ugh. so I wrote to Caspian about all of these fuckers and he just laughed <laughs> that was actually the first time I picked up my phone yesterday and you were met with this barrage of, of hostility and hate from me. I think me. it was 10 messages of just... <laughs> yes, it was. I was. And then I did 15 minutes of yoga nidra, just relaxing, plonked down onto the bed, read for an hour, slept for two, and then I was on again. But yeah... Now and again, it's just shit. Everything is shit. And worst of it all, I was going to write my blog post yesterday on my Swedish blog. And I pressed new post. And up pops this awful block editor. That's WordPress new editor that I've been avoiding because you can you can use the classic one for two years and now they claim that you couldn't anymore so I was pissed and trying to find out how do I get back to it but I fooled the system I fooled the system I could somehow through a back door I managed to I don't write. even understand what you're you're being bothered by it is. It's a gr great tool. No, it looks so, so. It's, it's awful. It's awful. I think it's awful. Just, just the interface. Intervention here for our fans. In our left-hand corner, we have Millennial Caspian. And in the right, we have Helena X. X, yes. Very much so. And tonight, we are fighting for the title, WordPress Block Editor User Winner. No. And they're off. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, it's horrible. It was horrible. I don't like the looks of it at all. And Caspian answers, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I think it can be related to, I mean, I am on Mac products, right? I don't care about 
going behind and writing these weird pings and stuff you can do on a PC. But that's a little bit of my sensation between the classic WordPress editor and the block editor. It's the same thing. And then I'm in, I'm in the PC corner then, you know. Well, the block editor isn't... This pod does not actually endorse Mac. <laughs> well, part of us do. <laughs> no, but yes, it is Caspian. You'll just have to show me the what the wonders is with it because it's crap. Sure, I'd love to. Yes. And I mean, I could show you the HTML uh, part as well and, and see that it could be a lot more complicated than it currently is. And then you'll appreciate the, the block editor even more. No, then I'll still appreciate the classic editor the most. Because there I know what I'm getting. I know what I'm doing. I know what it's supposed to look like. I'm a staunch non-changer when it comes to WordPress. I was just going to say, it's it's really <laughs> astounding that that the person behind Tankespian, the one who wants to develop her thoughts, who just want to have her worldview thrown over, over and over yep. again. Yep. And then you just come to some things and it's yep. like, no. have you updated your phone? No! <laughs> I will not! Well, I think you're getting to drill down into Generation X values here. <laughs> this is one of those do as I say, not as I do moments. Yes, yes. You know, everybody needs to have one of those or a couple of those. But somebody naming no names is now forcing me to update my phone and my iPad and my computer on a regular basis. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So now whenever I open an, an app on my phone, it says Clue is copying something from your MacBook. And I'm like, no, you're not, fucker. It's like, so it's good. Weird. Well, if you didn't choose those fruits that will not be mentioned as your technology supplier, you wouldn't have to go through all of this shit all of the time. No, I would just be a heck of a lot more frustrated. Yep. I, I, I actually think Helena would. <laughs> I would. Trust me, I've, I've been on enough of the, the Android stuff phones to just know that I just go bonkers. It doesn't suit my system at all. I think you would actually enjoy the Windows phone the most. No. Oh, way, no. way back, because the user interface was really good. They had something really good going there. But then it died. Yeah, they sort of, they they were going to merge with Nokia and, and then they didn't. And the whole thing fell apart. They realized they're not in the phone business. Yeah. Like Sony. Well, they're still making phones, though. Yeah, but it's not really their core business. No, no, that's true. What is their core business? Sony. Is their core Cam business? Camera, cameras and, and sound, I would oh. say. The gift of sound and vision. Ooh, somebody's been listening to the commercials. <laughs> the, they're still, you know, one of the, the top 
camera manufacturers in the world with the AR series? That's passed me over. <laughs> like, not in my field. Not in my view. How are you doing, Dominic? Oh, <clears throat> well, just right at the moment, I have this incredible muscle pain in my back that started just while I was setting up for our conversation. I was thinking about drug politics and I got this axe in the back. <laughs> oh, it Is really this a hurts. sign? It's a sign, it's a sign, yeah. It's definitely a sign. Don't talk about drug politics or this is a painful area or something like that, you know. Maybe or you just, need to relax. Well, maybe it's just indicating that I have some sort of weird um, bias or, you know, something going on. I haven't worked through it yet. But it's been a, a pretty intense couple of weeks, I must say. It's been a, a lot of stuff happening. I've been also sleeping more than usual, kind of quite exhausted. Um, sleeping by nine at night. Um, I mean, generally, I try and get to bed by 1030. Um, and I'm tired I want to be in my ideal sleep sort of uh, cycle I need to be in deep sleep by 12 o'clock by midnight then I sort of feel best which means I need about two hours so 10 o'clock in bed is perfect and I wake up quite refreshed around five <clears throat> but now I've been asleep by nine sometimes like by 8 30 can't stay awake, dying to the world, Cough. I'm dreaming intense shit, you know, just like processing massive information, all kinds of thoughts. And I've been sort of, I have been intensively uh, feeling into the, the world. There's just such amazing amounts of shit going on. Um, sort of feels uh, more chaotic. Um, and I'm always kind of skeptical about this, that, you know, that there's... Uh, I mean, one of the things that's, that's really interesting for me is how um, the, the corona pandemic is kind of into this normalization uh, process. So if you compare to just six months ago, um, I mean, there are dramatically rising infection rates and there are lockdowns happening everywhere and et cetera, et cetera. But it's not uh, top line news anymore. It's just like, you know, we, we're back to normal here. We've got some shit going on, but it's not that serious. Um, and I think actually that that's... Um, <laughs> There's something for me quite valuable in uh, being aware of how, um, uh, for me anyway, there's a, a, a sort of value in 
in hyperbole, in scale, you know, in kind of uh, understanding uh, not only how serious things are, uh, in what to what degree things are serious, but also that we have a tendency to make things extremely serious. We really, as a as a species, sort of feed on drama and uh, the extraordinary and out of the ordinary and all this kind of stuff. And as soon as there's one thing that's out of the ordinary, then the whole world is going to collapse in you know the next 15 seconds because something out of the ordinary happened. And it doesn't really matter what it is, you know, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's uh, forest fires or uh, whatever. The, the, every time somebody kind of makes a discovery, it's going to change the world. And I mean, I'm also being hyperbolic here, uh, obviously, but um, there's there's little that doesn't get um, inflated. And it might be that uh, it's part of this problem that there must be there must be something to look at on Instagram or YouTube or whatever. So you, you've got to keep feeding this monster. And it's not just anything, it's got to be new. You need new stuff. It's got to be novel, you know, and it's like, as soon as it's novel, then um, it can go viral. And if somebody can sort of connect it to three other things and it's going to make the world collapse or change everything or whatever, then that becomes the next 15 seconds that everybody watches, etc., etc. So, I mean, <clears throat> it's interesting to watch how these things, how these uh, phenomena play out. You know, at the moment, for example, Trump has corona, and that's the most serious thing in the world, and everything is uh, sort of on edge. But three days ago, there was this unprecedented presidential debate that was going to collapse democracy for... Uh, all time possible, you know. Um, and three days before that, uh, there's a, a concern that uh, the same sort of uh, players are being drawn into a discussion about whether they're going to peacefully hand over power and blah, 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 you know, it's like. <clears throat> uh, sort of think, okay, it's not strange that people feel exhausted. Um, because everything is at, you know, turned up to 11 to use the, the spinal tap joke. It's like there's very little that's, that's reasonable. What's the spinal tap joke? There's this movie called Spinal Tap. Um, you can watch it on YouTube probably. Um, I think there's two or three of them. I've only seen one and, it, and it's sort of... Um, it's a parody of uh, rock culture, you know, like uh, long-haired, um, tight-pants rockers. And then uh, they have these uh, special amplifiers that turn up to 11. They don't really go beyond 10, but you turn them up to 11 and then... You can turn them up to 11, yeah. So everything is kind of turned up to 11 all of the time. And it's sort of, you know, um, hmm. it makes me think about um, what's happening in the slow world as opposed to in the fast world where everything's happening at the same time and, trrr, and more, 
more, more, more, more, more, more, more, more, because the slow world is the, is the more patterning, you know, and you can sort of press the slow-mo button and try and um, uh, kind of notice what sort of patterns are in play and what sort of patterns are emerging. Um, I'm not sure that there's anything that new or different, you know, but I see the same the same patterns may be intensifying, this kind of continuous internecine asymmetrical uh, scramble for domination that just doesn't stop. The part that maybe is new for me, more distressing for me, is to observe more closely how uh, these so-called forces for good, um, whether it's the environmental groups or um, you know human rights groups or whatever how more of these uh, phenomena adopt the uh, tactics for dominance that are ethically reprehensible um, but the end justifies the means and again you know to get to the sort of hyperbole end of things when people start to notice these things, then immediately, um, <clears throat> for example, cancel culture is threatening our democracy and uh, all of our freedoms are going to get lost and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, it's possible it might happen. Um, but there's virtually <laughs> not an example of, of a phenomena that isn't blown up to that degree. Um, and when it proves not to be that, it's like, um, it would seem like a really, really good opportunity to, to back up and say, oi, I really got that one wrong. Um, for the simple reason, if nothing else, that if I can recognize what I got wrong, um, then I actually might be able to uh, make a, a better association. I might be able to innovate something even more impressive or whatever, but there's very little of that. The one slightly surprising thing that I notice is that the uh, platform Reddit um, has become dramatically more, I um, don't know what you would call it, um, uh, consensus oriented. It has? Mm. In what way? Yeah, it's very uh, pro-democratic party, anti-Trump, um, anti-racist. Uh, there's just more and more and more of it on Reddit. And it's kind of surprising. There was sort of this relatively clear um, difference between, say, Reddit and Twitter, that Twitter was like the the consensus fishbowl and Reddit was the resistance fishbowl. Um, but since the, um, the censorship issues started to come up for platforms, um, Reddit <coughs> seems, Reddit shut down the, the uh, Donald um, thread and I'm sure they shut down a lot of others. Um, well, they, they just they cut took it, it out. I, th I think that's what happened, yeah. Wow. 
So there's a whole flurry of these things. You know, Twitter started to post some sort of, I, I mean, I don't have Twitter, but they posted some little flag to say Donald Trump is lying again or something like that. Um, and you're supposed to sort of uh, put up your your fake news flags and people cleaned out a lot of stuff, um, banned suspected uh, uh, sort of troll operations from China and so on and so on. You know, sort of usual bogeyman that's just... Um, try and get a, a control on this, get order to this. Um, but yeah, Reddit seems to have become peculiarly pro-democratic, I mean pro-democratic party. And there may just be a, a, a significant drive amongst the Democrat activists to post stuff on Reddit, it's not an unusual tactic. I mean, it's exactly what the resistance people did with Twitter. They just, as Steve Bannon put it so eloquently, you just fill the pipe with shit. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and shit there is. So generally a confusing world. Yeah. There's so many lines of thought that I want to explore here. I don't even know where to begin. Pick one. Well, I think as 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 the millennial of the group, um, no, but I've I've seen some some quite clear trends when it comes to platforms in the past possible two years. Um, and I know that, that some people have picked up on, on similar things and, and some haven't, um, but one clear, one, one very, very clear pattern and, and something that's sort of the consensus amongst people on social media and talking about social media is that people are, are going away from Facebook. They're leaving the platform more and more. Um, and that, that comes up in, in conversation with people. It comes up in, in sort of seminars and talks and, and so on and so on. And in the, in the landscape we're in, people need somewhere to go. It's not like we're putting our phones down. It's, it's actually just swapping the app out. Um, and I've sort of been, been thinking about where where people are going to head and i've seen some initiatives uh, i think we spoke about the 29k on here uh, a bunch of weeks ago yeah which was supposed to be a social media for for um sort of people on the enlightened mind. path yeah exactly for for the enlightened people and and you know people doing yoga and and burners and, and people who are awareness oriented sort of that that was going to be the platform don't yawn whatever you do sorry don't yawn now whatever you do <laughs> no but what, what i saw instead was you know they they had sort of a surge in in it, it was more of 
uh, uh, one of those um, tomteblås. Flash in the pan. Yeah, rather than than an actual fire. Um, and people are going all kinds of places, and and I can imagine Reddit being one of them, and being the sort of, if not the main one, but one of the main ones, because I've seen a lot of people uh, going to Quora as well, which I think I think those two are very similar in that sense, that they're actually they're built for communication rather than broadcasting, which Facebook isn't. Facebook is built for broadcasting um as is twitter as is instagram as is tiktok um i just find it very interesting how in such a short time span i would have to say people actually have time energy um almost the guts to go to Twitter or to to Reddit sorry I I actually feel appalled by it because it, it, in Sweden it, it's sort of like all of us would would go off Facebook and we would go on flashback instead you know it, it is it is a place that that all of us know about flashback to for for context is is very similar to reddit in in terms of uh, content in terms of user interface you know it's it's very much the same but it's swedish um you know all of us know about it all of us know about flashback we've all been there we've all sort of had threads where we we just get lost in whatever is going on and there's all kinds of nonsense. But we've never had our identity there. It's been a place to, to visit and then we go back. Um, I sort of feel like it's... it's. I don't know. I feel like Reddit should be sacred in, in some ways. Because... No, but it's sort of like you guys would start hanging out in, in World of Warcraft and chat there. It's like, no, it's not the place for you. Get the fuck <laughs> off of here. Or like us three would start hanging out in 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 just just to for context for people who who might not feel the same way. It's like the three of us dressed as we are right now would start going to to fancy restaurants hanging out there. It's like, no, don't fucking do it. It's not the place for you. I was thinking more hanging out in kind of Christian restoration groups. But I get your point. Yeah. 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 But also just for, for context, I mean, why do you think that these places are sacred? What do you associate them with? Sorry, you broke up? Why would you think these places are sacred? What do you associate them with? Reddit and, and flashback. What kind of uh, 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 reputation do these places have? What types of the sites? Well, they they do have a very poor reputation, I would say, in many regards. Um, that's why we don't hang out on Flashback. 
because that's the scum. That's that's the backside of internet. That's not where we're supposed to hang out. White that's trash. Where... Yes. Yeah, well, to a large extent, white trash and and in some case, you know, it's it's not it's sort of in between Facebook where which is the the mainstream and sort of the dark net. You know, flashback is somewhere in between that. It's a little bit of both. So it's not the place to go where you want to find, you know, drugs and weapons and and very secret conversations, which you can find out on on sort of the dark web and and more even more niched forums. But it's not the place to have civil conversation either, or civil conversation. Um, and that's I think that's why I feel like it's sacred because it's also been a place for people who who don't fit in on Facebook, who don't who who can't really cope with this mainstream. Um, they've found a place on Flashback or Reddit. It's a bit of a gentrifying um process yes. then Ooh. absolutely Ooh. um yeah and, and and that's probably what would disgusts me about it um it feels like there's some sort of greed driving towards it sort of people those people moving from facebook moving from twitter onto to reddit they haven't been you know through building it they no, haven't they haven't been the backbone with it. of it mm. exactly they sort of piggyback on on a forum that's been built up by people who really have found their their place there. Um, and and as you know, Helena, you've been talking a lot about you've been finding your people in in the creatives workshop and in the uh, um, forward link forum for all of the people who've gone and. Akimbo workshop, sort of like just merging that with something completely different and saying, hey, we want to be part of this forum too. It's like, no, you don't belong here. We're not your people. It's it's the exact same thing for me. Oh. And I think in terms of society, in terms of, you know, I, I've jokingly jokingly said that I'm I'm the millennial of the group um, but I think both of you can relate to having the wrong people in the wrong room and that's exactly what this feels like to me it's inviting those friends over that that really shouldn't be part of your role-playing group and them just taking it over saying this is ours now and that's going to have, that's, that, that was one of the other lines of thought that I wanted to pursue. It's going to have consequences. Yes. Because those people who used to hang out on Reddit are yeah. going to move to other places. And I'm not too happy with those places. I'm, I'm not too optimistic about where those places might be. Oh. Because it's not going to be a swap. They're not going to move over to Facebook and Twitter. Oh. That's not going to happen. Oh. And I think many people have probably had the experience that I had um, a couple of years ago on Twitter, where it was 
my place to be from 2013, 14 most definitely, but and 15 and then tapering off in 16, where the thing that I loved about it, um, slowly but steadily, I got less and less and less of that and more of the 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 rife the tension the the nastiness the the calling of names sort of that thing so that which i had fallen in love with this this way of of finding people all over the world but especially in sweden especially in the swedish school system because that was my bubble um you know who could really give me tankespian there was a lot of that but there was a sense of respect i think that then sort of just it it got lost somewhere and there were lots of discussions about the tone um you know mind your tone we need to mind our tone we need to do this and that and and that in a sense just polarizing it so that you know i was far from the only one who left um, that platform what is it that polarizes I would say the the need, the drive, the desire to make someone out as wrong for being different than you. So when I I was reading posts on the tone, you know, I know precisely who's who we're pointing the finger at and cheering it on. Yes, the tone, the tone, um, you know, which has them who all you know the people that we are pointing the finger to they know that we're pointing the finger at them and that just has them raise their you know fists in the air and start to pound back even harder so i think the the, the pointing of fingers that can be very apparent or very uh subtle it can be very outspoken or it can be sort of underneath it's it's what's in between the words you know, um, that I find is one of the most polarizing aspects of this. You are wrong. And you're not as good as I am. I mean, this is quite a, um, I don't know if one should say popular, but certainly a, a well-represented discussion at the moment is, is the state of polarization. Um, so there's lots of people that are really concerned about polarization and say that, um, you know, society hasn't been as polarized as it is today. Um, some people will sort of say ever before, you know, the sort of hyperbolic thing and that this is definitely going to lead to some sort of uh, clash, some sort of war, uh, imminent violence, etc., etc. You know, other people saying that well, um, you know, the polarization is so endemic that um, it's very unlikely that we can resolve anything in a democratic manner and that there's uh, very likely to be sort of different layers of dissolution of 
states, nation states, um, you know, so on and so on. Um, and I'm just thinking that if it's if it is so, um, if one looks at at causes of polarization, for example, um, there's a lot of people trying to uh, examine causes of polarization and to understand how they work. And if it is such a thing as that, when you point the um, there's this lovely expression in Swedish that talk about the chili finger. If you point the chili finger, it's when you accuse someone, yeah, I've never heard. <laughs> I think you've made this up. Yes, it's possible, but I'll um, <laughs> I'll, I'll play you the references um, amongst others amongst your uh, your god Timbuktu. Yeah, anyway, so if it's such a simple thing as that um, you're accused, you stand accused, that this causes polarization, it makes for a very interesting discussion. Um, some of the, the causal uh, explanations or models that are being offered have got to do with uh, this kind of race to the bottom um, ethic around uh, uh, digitalization, that there's total deregulation, um, total free access, and that uh, soon it becomes to mean that I think it's uh, Tristan Harris from Human Tech or whatever they're called. Uh, there's this movie on Netflix at the moment. Um, the Social Something or Other. The Social yeah, Something social, or Other. The Social, social Dilemma. dilemma. Mm, yeah. And it, 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 uh, I think one of the people behind it is this uh, guy from Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley's, uh, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, conscience. I think that's uh, self-named, or possibly he's been called that. Uh, but he says freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom of reach. Um, we talked about this a little bit before, once or twice, about how there's an assumption that because you're on a platform that you should be listened to by billions of people, and if you don't, then somehow your rights are being infringed. Um, that sort of sense. And all these confusions around whether you're the client or whether you're the, the product, and you know, all these kind of uh, aspects that result um, as a sort of turbulence on the surface of a process that's actually uh, neurologically creating a state in which dopamine overload results in uh, addictive behavior um, at a very, very low cognitive brainstem level, i.e., I go and accuse you. You're the cause of my unhappiness. You're utterly stupid, etc., etc. So, And then when this comes out again, we result in a, um, in a, in a, in a society that's uh, deeply polarized or hyperpolarized, we're starting to call it now. Um, and it makes me think of this. Um, there's a, a South Park uh, episode where Cartman um, develops a, I think it's, it's Cartman, he develops a taste for uh, chipotle. Um, and gets thoroughly addicted, and pretty soon his underwear is uh, completely red. Um, <laughs> and um, 
So he starts to um, he starts to find ways to disguise his red underwear, um, and the the sort of obvious elephant in the room is well, stop eating the chipotle, um, and except in our in our case here, we have an an elephant that's become a, a so called hyper object. You know, it's there. Um, but you can't really put your finger on it, so you change the app in your telephone. And changing the app in the telephone is like shifting the deck chairs on the on the Titanic. You know, it's utterly meaningless. You're still in exactly the same type of uh, uh, addictive substance delivery network that keep you running in the same process. So, I mean, I don't know that it's true that the finger pointing causes the polarization. I think the polarization is an emergent quality of participating in these kind of, of, of platforms. That the intention of being able to have a good conversation um, seems inherent in uh, uh, the development of democratic societies. That there's a kind of a, an assumption that we can talk about things and and develop good ways to be and etc. So we've we've become quite used to calling ourselves civilized. But when we put in a situation where there is um, unrestricted access, where there is a race to the bottom, where there is an an, an absence of of boundaries and structures, we start to behave like Lord of the Flies. That it seemingly is encoded into our cognitive systems that um, the the vagal nerve shuts down and we are in threat and survival mode and the only way is to fight against the thing that you feel threatened by and identify with the thing that agrees with you and it so, doesn't really matter what the content is yeah so i went from binging on game of thrones to picking up uh, the Handmaid's Tale again. Um, I'm sorry, I just gotta say, I don't know if we can call what you're doing binging. It's beyond sort of any... No. any. <laughs> How many days did it take you to, to get through? 26. Yeah, just but saying. Dominic did it in eight or something. Yeah, well, that that's, you know, next level, dude. That's it's called ne next level. I've I've always held Dominic to the le next level of everything. <laughs> you want to know my secret? I didn't do anything else. You want to know my secret? You sat on the toilet don't, all of the time. No, don't use social media. It completely fucks up your concentration levels. That's the secret. So Sorry. I gave up social media so that I can binge watch series. <laughs> so the same I, series. So it's even more impressive that Helena did it in twenty six days now. It Give, is given it how is. many how much time you spend on social media. Yeah. And working yeah. and oh, reading. Yes. Uh, uh, and that's that's really next level shit. So yeah. yeah. But I'm more anyway. like a <laughs> So, going Sorry, from Game too. of Thrones 
So into Handmaid's Tale. The Handmaid's Tale, which is, you know, it is also an extremely well-made series. Um, and, and horrific in a way that Game of Thrones is horrific at times, but there's a, a fuller spectrum of, of sort of, there's points where you can just breathe in Game of Thrones. In Handmaid's Tale, you cannot, there's no points of relaxation. There's no, there's not a second that there's not this underlying psychological or physical threat. And it's just present all the time. And it's, it's, it's extremely well done through how they use this teal green color throughout. You know, it's just, ha. Huh. But speaking about polarization, speaking about, you know, and, and I, I, I think that one of the things that seems to be inherent in humanity is the sense of, of the pendulum. That we, we, we're in constant, this pendulous movement from sort of one extreme to the other. And now and again, it swings further and, and you know, um, but, but that's what feels very innate to humanity. Um, but it also, watching, watching both of these series, it makes me question me. What do I do? How do I do it? Who am I being? How am I being that? And, and what am I participating in? What am I participating in without having a clue that I'm uh, a player in it? And what am I deliberately, intentionally, with awareness participating in? Um, so it, it makes for some interesting self-talk. Uh, except for the moments when my eyelid starts to nervously flutter because it's just there's too much like the energy is too much it's like okay I need to turn it off now I need to get away step away um, so so it's been it's been an interesting um, experience that way but again Dominic going back to what you were saying about the shit that's going on this hyperbolic tendency Like, who are you being in that? How are you being in that? What, what you see it and you dive into it. Do you sort of hold your breath and close your mouth so that you don't ingest it? Or, you know, are you like, ooh, <laughs> guzzling? You know, it's like, how, who? Um, because that will affect you as well as... Uh, what you're diving into, I think. Yeah. Good questions. 
Do you mean for me to answer? You're asking, you say, how, what do you, how do you do? I am curious as mm. to how you are relating to it because you dive into the shit much more deliberately than I do. You read this stuff, you curate this stuff, you put it in your thingamajig and, and sort of tag it and stuff so that you have a sense of what's going on. Whereas I go, I'll just dive into Game of Thrones or The Handmaid's Tale and, and just ignore the rest, right? So we have very different ways of, of being in it, I think. Can I, sorry, sorry can, I, can I add to that question? Because I've been, that, that's one of the lines of thoughts that, that I wanted to pursue. Do you, do you, when you're diving into it, do you separate the the sort of the, you called it the slow world and the fast world i sort of see it as as a big pendula and and then the smaller one do you separate them is there any difference in how you dive into it and and what does that difference look like in that case yeah <laughs> Well, you know, I suppose a, a, a practical example would be for me that this week in the Swedish press, um, they published a report that had also come out in, in, in uh, the EU on drug-related deaths. Um, it's, uh, it's even got its own acronym called DRD. Um, so when you read these reports, it sort of refers to DRD. Um, and um, in the latest report, it, 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 it uh, points at Sweden having the highest um, death rate for Europe. Um, and For drug public... users, illegal drug users, that's the sort of heroin. And, it's, and... it's overdosing. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, Sweden is... Hmm? And uh, so for me, when I read this, my, my slow pendulum backs up into um, the early 80s. Um, there was a, a book published. So this is like pre-internet. Um, there's a book published by a British journalist called Marek Cohen. Um, the book is called Narcomania. And he gives a, a, a really uh, interesting account of drug politics um, since the 50s, more or less, um, and points out some really interesting facts about, uh, in particular, heroin use uh, during the Haight-Ashbury years. Haight-Ashbury sort of refers to um, the uh, height of the, the, the hippie Woodstock era when the... Peace, the, love and understanding and get high as much as you like. Yeah. Um, so hate Ashbury um, is, is an area or a street in, in San Francisco, I think, um, that was quite known for a place to score drugs and so on. Um, 
So the story for me starts there. That's the sort of slow pendulum. And <clears throat> maybe about 15 years ago, uh, Portugal decided to um, change its, its, its uh, policies on drugs to uh, decriminalize um, drugs in, in, in Portugal. And then we sort of find ourselves here at this point where um, Sweden is pointed out as having the, the highest um, drug-related death statistic for, for Europe. Now, the interesting part of this for me is that in the report in the Swedish press, there's a comment from the uh, um the, what would you call it, uh, the ministry of, it's not really a ministry, it's a, it's a health authority. So they say that um, <clears throat> there is no logical explanation for this. There's absolutely no kind of evident explanation for why Sweden should have a higher drug-related death rate. And, you know, it's just patently nonsense on a certain level. Um, but I don't believe that, uh, I can't remember her name, um, this particular, and I think she's a professor or somebody, I don't think that she's being dishonest, I think she really, really believes what it is that she's saying. But what it is that she's saying is so skewed by years and years and years of just swallowing the same shit that there's no ways for her. She doesn't actually have the means to make a different assessment. It's all just completely weird. You know, wow, we have the greatest number and it's just a mystery. And there is no real mystery to it. And there hasn't been any mystery about drug-related deaths for at least 30, 40 years. And... Why is that? Well, <clears throat> I mean, Marek Cohn, for example, points at uh, a very, very simple thing, that, that during the 60s in the, in the UK, um, heroin usage was deregulated. It was, it was decriminalized. Um, so if you were a heroin user... Um, it wasn't legal, and this is really important to make these kind of distinctions, that decriminalization and legalization are not the same thing. Um, <clears throat> but at the time, in the United States, I think they were having something like 160, 100, between 160, 200,000 uh, 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 addicted heroin users um, and a huge number of overdoses. And in the UK, the number of, of, of uh, uh, registered users now you could you could you could become a heroin user legally during the hippie era so you went down to the hospital they gave you at the time they called them grains you got your eight grains a week or whatever it was and went home and shot up and that's how it is and and if you kind of dig into these kind of uh, um, i think they nowadays would probably be called dark web uh, sort of uh, 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 anthropologies around drug use, it becomes obvious that, that there are any number of heroin users who have lived long and prosperous lives because they really are very, very careful about uh, uh, managing their use, you know. So um, there are, you know, any number of, of quite famous people, Bill Evans, the jazz pianist, or Charlie Hayden, the, uh, also another jazz player, 
used heroin for years and years and years and years and years. You know? But I mean, also decades. sort of ordinary people working and paying taxes and living and having kids and sort of Absolutely. that. Yes. Um, now, at the time, when there are 200,000 in the US, they've got 8,000 registered users in the UK and virtually no overdoses. So these two things are very, very closely related. As soon as you have these uh, prohibitionist laws, they tend to be really extreme results, i.e. people die. And these are not difficult things. So you get to discussions around, for example, uh, the, the um, I think it's from... <sighs> Hungaria, Gabor Mate, isn't he in Hungarian, I think, um, who, who talks eloquently and ex really, really interestingly about uh, drug addiction and addiction, and addictive patterns in the psyche, in the social structures around, etc., etc. Um, no, drug deaths are not that hard to understand. There isn't really any big mystery around them. Um, there's sometimes some surprising facts around them. Um, but it's not difficult. So when I'm diving into this stuff, when I'm sticking my nose into the shit, um, I'll also be reminded that, for example, um, drugs of this kind, illegal drugs, play a really, really important political role. So Afghanistan, Nigeria, um, uh, several countries in South America are the uh, main providence of, of, of uh, for example, CIA black ops fundraising um, that, that the, the, the illicit trade of these substances is managed knowingly from within intelligence services, etc., etc. This is part of the problem. Wait, wait, wait. So you're saying CIA and, and these black ops or operations are actually providing the, moving the drugs from these areas into absolutely. the U.S. and yeah. Absolutely. I mean, these are just... Just, just clarifying that. <laughs> yeah, really, really well-documented <laughs> factual engagements. Um, whether we're talking about poppies in Afghanistan, poppy fields and heroin... Uh, whether we're talking about cocaine from Colombia or Panama or whatever. Yeah, <clears throat> this is not stuff that is some sort of open market. This is very carefully run and contained um, and has important political implications. I mean, the, the CIA was actively involved in, in flooding black areas in the United States, primarily with cocaine precisely because it disempowers political movements. And these particular techniques are taught and exchanged in institutions like um, the School of the Americas, um, which is a, an American uh, military academy that uh, has trained and equipped, I mean, more dictators than you care to know about. <clears throat> So no, there isn't really a big mystery about why people die of drugs, but um, perhaps there's a, a greater mystery in understanding uh, the, the, 
the human stuff around why to maintain all of the suffering. What's going on? You know, how, how can we sort of get to a, a more integrated view that allows for that? Uh, on the one hand, people are going to get inebriated, whether sort of by alcohol or weed or heroin or whatever. Um, that's definitely going to happen. And on the far other end of the spectrum, humans are going to long for some sort of homogenous, clean, safe, uh, predictable environment. Um, and these two states exist at the same time within, uh, in this case, one context of, of, of uh, substance use and substance abuse. And there's a lot of layers to it, and a lot of it is really, as you say, it's ugly, it's shitty, um, it's unpleasant. There are lots of, of, of overlaps. So, for example, opioids um, uh, and, and opioid addiction and, and death by opioids is, 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 at least in the United States, for example, now very clearly connected to a particular medical family um, or I should say medical family, a particular family with interest in the medical industry, who also just happened to be one of the biggest contributors to so-called um, uh, 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 philanthropic activities. So we talked about this before, how exactly this thing of donating to philanthropic organizations is actually part of a really embedded problem of maintaining the elephant in the room. Um, so here you have like layers and layers of this, of the people that have, through using these really unfortunate tools on so many levels, marketing, uh, addictive substances, uh, 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 market incentives, created an opioid crisis in the United States in order to avoid paying tax give monies into philanthropic organizations that, for example, are participating in the war on drugs. And so on and so on. I mean, though these people that become uh, addicted to opioids typically turn to crime in order to uh, uh, feed their addiction. They may end up in prisons. Those prisons provide uh, cheap labor for people who own the prisons because they, they're not uh, necessarily public. And so, you know, on and on and on and on, on. It is a sewer. It's a problem. Yeah. And, and the fact that the, is it oxycodone or whatever it is in the US, this drug? And then there's the, the antidote drug that you can use. Same company producing both. Woo! We are a winner, regardless of how we look at it. You know, we can get you hooked and then we're going to make money getting you unhooked as well. It's like, ka-ching! Yeah. <laughs> like, so slow pattern. This is like the surface stuff, very fast. Lots of it going on all of the time. It's a mess. Um, depressing. <laughs> it's like, it can really make you feel totally disempowered, you know. Um, so to seek some of that uh, empowering stuff, I have to back up quite a lot, you know, and think, okay, how does this happen? When does it happen? Um, so the whole opioid crisis, for example, is, is also historically linked with, uh, for example, neoliberalism, um, the sort of uh, deregulation of markets, 
lead to a lot of these uh, systemic problems, cascading problems. And if you can back out of it, zoom out of it, and, and start to look at other possible discussions that are going on, um, other solutions that are going on, ways in which people start to uh, talk about this stuff. Well, I, d I don't think there's a lot of light, you know, um, but what does happen is that the, the problem environment in big inverted commas has become massively amplified, which leads to that um, something must give, you know, something eventually implodes or explodes, new innovations arrive, new solutions arrive, uh, more and more people will be identifying with the same problem. And if they identified with the same problem, then probably more and more people will hopefully uh, seek a third state, something completely unique. So for me, the, the process in the, in the slow patterning looks like it's tending towards overflow, that the, it's tending towards a world in which possibly there can be a significant rapture of these uh, pre-established ways of thinking. That beyond drug abuse and market delivery, it's possible that people might just stop signing on to um, social media platforms, that people will start to relate to things like dopamine and uh, oxytocin and uh, serotonin and so on from completely new and unique evolutionary perspectives. Because they're deeply connected to McDonald's, they're connected to Pringles, you know, it's, it's like those are sugar, um, all of sugar. this stuff feeds into yeah. the same kind of problem. Sugar, fat and salt, right? Yeah, exactly. In the combination. Woo. Very good. Very good. Yeah. So when you when you dive into this then, Dominic, do you then also keep tabs on you? to make sure that, okay, I've been down in this shit now for an hour or two or three days or five weeks or whatever. Break, pause, nature, sleeping, sauna, I don't know, you know, it's like, do you, do you regulate, I guess, is the um, process there? Yeah. To make sure that you don't sort of break yourself down yeah I can't say that I maintain a sort of um, strict ratio um, but what I generally do is to I don't dive into the content so much um, of uh, I, I, I look at headlines and I think, okay, there's something is appearing here, that there's a, a, a lot of reports happening around a particular thing. And I'll have already done, you know, some other work. Um, so when I see that a, that a new report comes out, um, I might very kind of quickly scan an article. Um, 
which is how I came to see uh, this particular doctor saying that there's no explanation for this. Um, but then I see a, a second doctor come out and, and, and say that um, uh, it's, it's, it's a really odd thing. You can possibly help me with the, the translation, but he says something. He says, Worden hemas of sin organisachun. Can you translate that to English? Well, that the healthcare system in and of itself is, is hindered by the way that it is set up. So this is his yeah. explanation. So there's the inbuilt catch-22, sort of, because of the way it is, it is the way it is, and because the way it is, it is the way it is, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. So this is one of the, the doctors that works with this organization. So reading through his explanation, um, it's interesting to me that he describes, he ascribes causality uh, at a level where it's impossible to resolve. Because the level of causality is not at that level in the stack that he's describing. Um, and because I've been reading up on this for a number of years, um, that thing is obvious to me. And that brings for me a reaction of Jesus Christ. I feel helpless, hopeless, um, you know, uh, all these kind of, have I got a, a, a bead on how I feel? Um, because I do feel sort of uh, a sense of, of um, without options. And then I need to, you know, have a good forest walk and uh, sort of sit and, and achieve some sort of um, presence by running these conversations in my mind and finding out what parts of myself attach to different emotional states um, and attending, attending to those parts of myself and understanding how I can easily generate uh, biased thinking and assessments by being emotionally so affected by these these situations. And in terms of the 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 fast pendulum, that could make the picture look even worse. So speaking in the beginning of this recording, I was saying that I'm sort of becoming more distressed by how um, the the forces for good um, employ the methodologies that they accuse the forces of evil um, to be using and uh, not having any kind of perspective over that. But when I do have perspective over that, I kind of have this feeling of, okay, well, the place where I feel most integrated in myself is a place of saying the world is exactly as it's supposed to be. We don't need to fix anything. There's no pandemic to fix. There's no climate to fix. There's no political situation to fix. Um, things are exactly the way that they are meant to be. And that doesn't mean that it's pleasant. That doesn't mean that it's comfortable. 
but that getting into some sort of interventive state of mind, you know, that there's something that I can do uh, that will make everything better, I think is really becoming increasingly for me an obvious uh, trap that leads to more and more and more traps of that, oh dear, now I've made this change and it's resulted in these 10 Hydra heads that come up and so now I've hacked off these 10 Hydra heads and now we have 100 Hydra heads. Oh. But those 10 Hydra heads being hacked off were supposed to save 100 lives. Now we've got a, you know, 100 Hydra heads and now there's a million lives at stake, etc, etc. And kind of getting to this point in myself of saying, okay, sit still, look at the thing. Nothing is out of place. Nothing is wrong. This is life, the universe, playing out its process. Some of it is violent. Some of it is benevolent. Um, but all of it is, is, is as it should be. Be patient. I think that's a... Be there, you know. It's a hard, it's hard to, um, to understand what you mean and to even harder to, to say, okay, I embrace it, you know, because it's so far from the discourse of the society that we live in. It's so far from the way we are and are being taught and are being told how to do what to do because just like you said you know it's like well corona has sort of had its 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 15 minutes of fame in the media and now something else is going to have and before that it was the climate crisis and before that it was you know it's like oil Precisely. So, so there's, and, and when you say everything is precisely the way it is and the way that it should be, it's easy, I think, to misinterpret that into thinking that you say there's nothing wrong there's you know there's no cause for concern climate crisis doesn't exist the coronavirus is a is an you know it's a figment of our imagination it's it it would be easy to think that and then my entire system just goes into denial saying dominic you're just an jackass for for saying this it's so obviously something wrong in the world right so it it's it's hard to be with what you're saying there for me and I think for many others as well I think that's something that I encountered very very tangibly oh, good word um when my, my grandma passed in whatever it was, March, April, somewhere there, from Corona. And the thing was, when I told people that, you know, there was a lot of upset and, and 
sort of, oh, I'm so sorry, and and all of those things that, that are appropriate when, when a family member passes. But for me, it was, I, I was sort of in the same state of, well, you know, it was supposed to happen. I mean, and of course, you know, there there's a larger story to to her passing um, that I might not have told people. Um, I might have some information that that makes it easier to take that sort of position. But it was still sort of it was confusing to people when I said, well, there's, you know, of course I'm sad. But also not as sad as as I could be or as I would have been, could have been in other circumstances. You know, when my, my grandfather passed very quickly of uh, cancer, and that was, you know, sort of, it wasn't really like that, but but over over course of half a year or something, he got really bad. Um, and that was a completely different thing for me. In in his case, I was more in the state of, you know, things are wrong. Cancer shouldn't be. We we shouldn't be at this state. Yada yada yada. Um. And I, I think it is, as as you're saying, Helena, a hard position to understand. That sort of, okay, let's rest in this. This is nothing more. This is. Oh. Yeah, to rest in it. That's a good way to phrase it. And it totally fucks you over just because we live in this world that is so um, into KPIs, key performance indicators and goals and, and you know, growth and GDP and, and you know, targets to reach and, and, and records to break and, and productivity and efficiency and to-do lists. And, and so like, it's, it's the to not do lists uh, that could need a, a bit of a renaissance, right? Just stop, just rest in it. You, know. you could make a non-app for that. I can make a non-app for the to-not-do list. Mm. Yeah. Could, could not download a non-app. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's kind of like, you know, these two extremes of the pendulum that, that as you say, Caspian coming to rest. Um, and it's something that always is such a, like, revelatory insight for me that being present and thinking, they don't go together. You can't do the one and do the other. It's just not going to work, you know. 
and that doesn't mean i mean the thing that 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 i think of when you when you say this brings up a, a strong reaction helena is is absolutely right because we have uh, we have consciousness we have senses as humans and these are like the the operating codes for our own development. So if we don't react, if we're not concerned, um, if we don't feel distress, pain, joy, all of these things, um, we're probably not going to develop. And when we feel those things, uh, then we are in movement. Then we're swinging with a pendulum. And finding those moments of rest to, to integrate into ah, this is how the world is now. Okay, then some other signal comes in. Whoa, I'm losing it completely. Is it the fucking Russians or the Chinese or uh, it's the economy or I'm really worried, am I going to pay my rent and da-da-da-da-da. Okay, then that's some new uh, signal coming in that you know my whole nervous system gets moving all of my cognitive connections are happening and i'm starting to develop all kinds of identities and this and that and i'm right and he's wrong and bloody blah and you know whew, breathe out okay this is how it's supposed to be it's not meant to to be anything other than uh all of these fluxes the the fast moving stuff and the slow moving stuff I'm reminding, for example, of, of this uh, idea in, in, in Sufism of, of um, that, uh, you know, the whirling dervishes. Um, there's this practice of, of uh, dikir or, or experiencing dikir or, um, that in order to be engaged in this experience of the divine, uh, uh, whirling is one of the ways of achieving it. And, and, and some of the technical code involved here has to do with the hands. So you have one hand above your head and the other hand out to the side. Now, if you think about the frequency, the hand above the head, which is pointing towards God, is moving very fast. And the other one, which is on the outer circle, is moving really slow. Um, and these two things have to happen at the same time. It's like there's a, a slow and fast process like you see in a clock or a wheel or you know any of those kind of symbolic moments we can't have the one without the other but we don't necessarily give time to the other we don't necessarily slow down into this kind of slower 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 pace just breathing in stopping all the thinking stopping all the noise i was i was um uh chatting with a friend talking about my summer about going a bit too much in this fast 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 and then really slowing down like way down not wanting to leave the premise not wanting to go uh, to the ocean to swim not wanting to take a walk really just staying put and the reaction was oh that must be the worst thing that can happen to a person not wanting to do anything. Which is significant to this point precisely, right? And my, res my reaction to that or my response was, no, 
Not at all. It was lovely. It was absolutely lovely to just be. To, to like really go slow for a while because I needed that after the fast spinning. And not having any sense of I should have, would have, could have, must have done something, but rather, no, just resting in it, like you say, Caspian, I was just resting in this fact that I needed the rest. Nothing to do and no sense of, but I should be doing. No, I'm doing the thing that I'm supposed to be doing, which is really nothing. But the, but the reaction, that must be the worst thing that can happen to a person, not wanting to do anything, is interesting. And I think a lot of people would, would respond in that way. Yeah, I've had, I've had the exact same, or not exact same, but, but a very similar conversation with a lot of people. As I said in, in the beginning, I've, I've had some sort of bug, which is very significant to this whole conversation, that I call it a bug. Because what, what I call a bug is really, you know, a signal from my system saying, hey, you need to rest. And, you know, just take it easy, do nothing. And, and that's, that's the state I'm in. I don't want to do anything when I'm in that state. And I take those days or, or at times, you know, weekends or, or whatever, a couple of days where I just do virtually nothing. And I remember I had a, a conversation with, with a friend a couple of years ago who, who asked me, how, how do you, I'm paraphrasing here, but, but he said something of, um, how do you reach maximum productivity and do you try to and and at that time I was in the beginning of that shift of, of not seeking maximum productivity because I have been doing that I have very much been in the business of how can I keep up a sprint pace for a full marathon sort of thinking? Um, and I, we, we had that conversation of, of, you know, I'm not trying to, to sprint the whole marathon. I'm doing intervals to be able to do the whole thing. That's when I um, perform my best. That's what I sort of doing good that's when I feel good when I'm doing those sprints and then resting but it, but it is a very hard concept to to I've found amongst my my friends and the people I've talked to um, a very hard concept to sort of integrate or or to take in and to process And I can't really describe it in, in, I haven't found a better way to, to describe it as, as, you know, to the question of how do you, how do you rest in, 
in that sense? How do you just disconnect from from the need and want to do anything? How do you not feel bad about it? And and I haven't found any any better answer than than just rest in it. Be with it. As one of our first conversations, I think we we spoke about, you know, we're human beings, not humans doings. And it's also it's it's it relates both to the cyclic nature of of the world of humans of, of women of men where women and men have different cycles, um, and and just the understanding that you know depending on where you are on the cycle, some things make sense and some th other things don't make sense. But also the the uh, anti fragile. I'm halfway through the book by now, the Taylor book, and you know he points out one of his big easy to understand points is this about uh, about food, about calorie intake, how we're not built to eat sort of the same amount three or four or five times a day, every day, forever, you know, because we're not meant to live like that. Some days you just drink some water. Uh, other days you binge on, on figs. Uh, another day there's no water, there's no water and there's no food. And, and other days, you know, we've, we've caught a, uh, an antelope or whatever. And we can just gorge ourselves with meat. So this belief that is very much in the system of, of society, of, of this industrialized world where everything is on a schedule and you need to know when it's coming and, and how it, you know, you even it out so that you get this amount of calories throughout the week and you should get as much every day. And he says, no, you shouldn't. You really shouldn't. Um, because the system also needs to rest. We're not letting our digestive system rest when we're, you know, eating every whatever. And it's interesting, you know, it's, it's, it's like, hmm. And how it's different for different people as well. That there's, there's this... Uh, belief that one size fits all it's like no it doesn't well the the homogeneity problem is also sort of part of a a larger historic perspective you know that um there's once upon a time there is a tower of babel um, where there are thousands of languages um, and slowly but surely you know more or less intact with agriculture thing become things become monocultural not only in, in in the way that people grow stuff but uh, that the the system becomes more and more homogenous with time um, and that eventually you end up with a sort of uh, uh, 
all-encompassing monoculture across the globe, uh, more or less people are doing the same things, they learn the same things, they eat the same things, they depend on the same things. You know, so by the time we institute globalization, uh, monoculture is already established in virtually every other sense. Globalization doesn't bring about monoculture. Globalization just sort of formalizes monoculture. And if you look at this from a, a, a much longer arc, you know, over 10,000 years or something like that, um, probably what eventually happens is that this, um, what is at, at one stage an emergent property becomes so amplified that it spills over its own edges and uh, implodes into a thousand new different innovative states. Um, and geez, is that traumatic. You know, for me as a, a little human sitting here, that's, that's an appalling prospect. It's really, really horrible. I mean, this is catastrophic collapse. But at the perspective of life on Earth, this is David Attenborough kind of material, you know, it's like, oh, look, all the lemmings have run off the edge of the cliff, and this will lead to more lemmings being born next spring in a completely new environment where they will move around bacteria that have never been seen there. And, you know, um, I think that's also sort of part of this resting in... in, in in the reality that we're in, not in the one that we wish we were in. Can we can we make a YouTube series with you doing David, David Attenborough voiceovers of completely sort of strange things? It would no. be awesome. It would be awesome. <laughs> I'm sure there's people doing much better David Attenborough voices than I do. Well, they, they wouldn't cover the same things, I, I think. They wouldn't, no. Nobody has your brain but you, Dominic. Mm. That is true. Mm. I had a, an interesting um, experience this week that I, I, I occasionally have migraine. Um, and that's a sort of story in by itself. And this particular one was uh, sort of sitting painfully in my neck and shoulders. And I was trying to process these, these feelings. And um, I had a few sort of completely bizarre images appear in my head. And the, the sort of um, the Easter egg that comes out the other side uh, is this phrase, pain is a harbor. And I've been thinking about this for days and really been fascinated by how many layers and dimensions there are for me to, to enjoy in this particular uh, insight and way of seeing, you know, of, uh, like when you talk about your bugs, Caspian, um, you know, and how we, how we deal with, with discomfort and pain in our society, in our bodies, in our relationships, and how 
potentially, I mean, you can bring your pain into a safe harbor. You can sort of use pain as a place to recover, as a place to, to stock up, um, to not be out on the wild seas, but it could possibly also be a place where you just don't dare to go out into the wild seas. Um, And I think part of the part of the the sort of the part of the stuff that works for me in finding those places to rest um, is to uh, avoid um, content and be more focused on context and usually through metaphor of uh, using things like pain as a harbor, as a, as a metaphor to move into completely other states of, of being. <laughs>